So we're going to be starting a new series today called Counting the Cost. And just about everything in life has some sort of a cost. And I tend to be a cheap person, financially tight, I guess you could say. Um, I'm not the tightest, but I, you know, I like things to be cheap, I should say. And so, uh, but, but I don't mind paying for things. I just like to budget it ahead of time. I like to be able to count the cost to figure out how much I'm going to pay for things. Um, you know, if I'm going to buy a car, I like to kind of look at the sticker price and then figure out what I want to pay and then kind of figuring what taxes and fees would be because I don't want to go in there and, you know, have my bid and then them add on all the taxes and fees, the extra thousands of dollars and be like, oh no, I wasn't prepared for this. I want to know it all before I get into the showroom. And when you talk about cost, and not everything that has a cost is a a monetary cost. Cost doesn't just mean money. Uh, for instance, when uh, Abby and I got engaged, I'd already been living by myself for a while, and so I had all the things you need to live. At least I thought I did. I had you no know, plates and silverware and some furniture. Sure, my furniture was a little bit dorm-ish. That's fine. I lived. I, futons are great. You know, I don't know what the problem is. And so, uh, but we get married, or we get engaged, and then we had the wonderful process of going through and registering for wedding gifts. And my job was basically uh, lowered down to you hold the little gun and scan the barcodes. That was it. Um, which occasionally there were some dumb things on our registry because she gave me that responsibility. That was her fault. And so we're going through beeping everything and she's like, oh, hey, here, let's register for these, uh, this, uh, you know, dishes set, uh, like plates and bowls and all that stuff. But I said, but I already have dishes. She said, yeah, well, I think we need some new ones, you know. I was like, and that's when I learned that the cost of marrying Abby was going to be saying goodbye to a lot of my stuff. Because apparently Bachelor Anthony's dishes were not good enough for married Anthony's wife. And there, there needed to be a transition there. Um, so that was a cost I had to pay. Totally worth it. Okay, She was right on most of the time with that stuff. Totally, totally worth it. So everything has a cost. I'm not always talking about money when I say cost, but everything has a cost. Now what would you say if I told you that following Jesus a lot of times has a cost? Uh, there's a pastor in Oklahoma, his name's Craig Rochelle, and I've, I listen to him a lot, and I hear, I've heard him tell this story several times, but um, when he was in college, uh, he became a Christian, and he went kind of from really not following Jesus to giving everything he had on fire to following Jesus, and so he was very excited uh, to be a Christian, and he starts going to church every single week, and one week as a college student, I think he was 19 or 20, uh, he's sitting in church, and they're singing songs, and he looks over, and he says he sees this lady, and he, he said, I don't want to be mean, but she just looked like she had more pain in her life than most people would at her age, and he said that just her appearance looked like things were a little rough for her, and so he got this feeling of compassion, and followed by this feeling of compassion was this sense that he needed to help her. And as a new Christian, he said, I think this is the Holy Spirit kind of nudging me to go help this woman. And he just got this feeling, I need to give her what's in my wallet. Now, as you know, college students, that's not going to be a lot. And so he gets his wallet out, and all he has is in there is a $5 bill. And he's like, $5, that's not even going to do anything. Like, I shouldn't even, he, he doesn't want to go give it to her because he's like, it's almost insulting to say, here's $5 because what can you really do in fi with $5? And so he's like, I don't think I'm going to do it. And so he sits there and the music keeps going and he just keeps going on with this feeling in his, in his gut that I need to go give her this $5. And finally he says, you know what? If this is the Holy Spirit, 
I don't want to miss this opportunity. And so he walks over to her and he says, ma'am, I hope this isn't out of line. And I hope that it's not too presumptuous of me or offensive or anything. But I just felt like I was supposed to give you this. And he gives her the $5. And she gives him a huge hug. And she's just over the top ecstatic. And he's like, it was only $5, you know. And he's wondering if like, God went like the loaves and fishes route with his $5, you know, and, and he, he handed her $5 and somehow it turned into a stack of $5 bills in her hand and it that wasn't the case. And so, you know, he's like, what is the deal with $5? And he says, well, I hope you just have a great day. And he starts to walk back and she grabs his arm and she says, no, you don't understand. I'm a single mom and I only had enough gas in my car to either go to church today or go to work tomorrow. And I wanted to come to church, and, but I thought, no, I've got to be responsible for my family so I can get to work tomorrow. And I just felt God this morning tell me, go to church and trust me. And this $5 is all I need to get home today with gas and to get to work tomorrow. And I get paid tomorrow. And, and you have no idea. This is exactly, exactly what I needed. And he goes back to his seat, and he's just like, whoa. And he's a brand new Christian, and his mind is just blown by how God has so powerfully used a simple, simple $5 bill that he had in his wallet that he was probably going to use on pizza after the service was over. And he was just amazed. And then a little more time goes by, a few months, weeks, I don't know. Um, but he's at church again, and he sees a guy, and he has that same feeling. I need to help this guy. And he gets that same feeling. I need to give what I have in my wallet. Now, he had just had a birthday, and someone had given him a card with a $100 bill in it. And in his wallet that day, resided that $100 bill, much more than his usual five. And so he pulls out his wallet, and he's like, oh. And he says, okay, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I? And he said he didn't do it. And he left church, and he said, you know, to this day I've wondered, because I got to see how God powerfully used $5. And he said, and this is like 30 years ago, and he says, I wonder to this day, what could God have done with that 100 if I was willing and he puts it quite bluntly about himself. He said, that day I learned that I had $5 obedience, but not $100 obedience. And that's what this series is all about. It's about the fact that being a disciple at times will cost us, not necessarily just money, but there are things in our life that it will cost us in order to follow Jesus. And this is a bit of a tricky subject um, because one thing we talk about here a lot is the fact that salvation from Jesus for us is free. And so when I start talking about following Jesus having a cost and salvation being free, I don't want to get those two things mixed up. And because there's a lot of people who struggle with the idea that salvation is free. I mean, like I said, I, I like to get things cheap, but I am skeptical of anything that is free. Am I the only one that's skeptical of anything that's free? You know, uh, this, I don't mean this in any sort of a political statement, but I saw on Facebook today a uh, Donald Trump thing, and it said, donate and get a free hat. That's not a free hat. Okay, if it's a free hat, then it would, I would just open my mailbox, and there would be a Donald Trump hat in my mailbox. But if I have to donate to get the hat, that's not a free hat, right? Okay, so I'm skeptical of things that are free. And so when we talk about salvation being free, a lot of us struggle with that realization, accepting the fact that salvation for us is free. That we don't have to do anything to climb our way to God, to earn our way to heaven, but that Jesus gladly, graciously gives us that salvation. And so I don't want to mix up this idea that following Jesus has a cost, and we'll explain what that means more in a minute, and that salvation is free. And so uh, to avoid getting those confusing, uh, confused, let me just say this. The thing about salvation and why I think sometimes we tend to confuse those things is that 
salvation, strictly speaking, is not free. You see, every one of us is a sinner, and we have this criminal record of sin. And the price, the cost of our sin is death. That is always the cost of sin, and because God is holy and demands justice, every criminal record, every crime we've committed must have a punishment associated with it. But we do not pay that price. Jesus fully pays the cost of my criminal record and your criminal record. He came into this world and he lived a perfectly innocent life, meaning he had no sin of his own to die for, and then he went to a Roman execution device called a cross, and he died a horrible death, the death that you and I should have died. He stood in our place and took the punishment that you and I deserved so that our sin record could be taken away. So salvation does have a cost. It's just we don't pay that cost. Salvation is not free, but it's free to you and me. Does that make sense? Okay. So salvation does have a cost, but just Jesus gratefully, kindly, graciously pays that chunk of sin for us. So that means that if you're a Christian, if you have put your faith of eternity in Jesus, it doesn't matter who you are on your best day or your worst day. There is no difference in the sight of God. You are saved and redeemed by Jesus. On your worst day, when you do something really dumb, because of Jesus already fully paying your debt, you don't have to do something really good to try to offset that and balance the scales. Jesus gives you a free, clean slate of sin. So that's how that works. Now, how do we balance this idea of salvation being free for us and yet having a cost of sin? Well, here's the deal. Jesus didn't just die on a cross so that you could have a, you know, free pass into heaven. He didn't just die on a cross so that you could have a get out of hell free card and just walk right into the pearly gates when your time has come. He also died on the cross to completely rid your life of sin, both in this life and the next, so you could go to heaven. So he did not just die on the cross so that you could get into heaven and, or get passageway into heaven and then, you know, just in this life, keep living the same old selfish, sinful life you've always lived. He does not want you to give your life to him and then go back to being the same person you are. He died on the cross so that you would have sin totally, completely removed from your life. So that the old way that you used to live with sin and selfishness dies away and you have this second chance with a new life where you can follow him. But to transition from old life of sin and walk this new road with Jesus, there's going to have to be some stuff that gets left behind. And that is the cost, okay? And so we'll say it this way. The cost of following Jesus the cost here, can I get that up here, Aiden? Maybe, computers. There we go. The cost is giving up a lot of things, and it can include a lot of things. The cost of following Jesus is giving up a lot of things so that you can follow Jesus to better things. And so when we choose to follow Jesus, there is sacrifice that must be made. There are changes to our lifestyle that must be made. There are things in our life that we must be willing to leave behind in order to truly follow where Jesus wants to lead us. And so where we're going to be today is in Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14, if you got a Bible, if you brought one, get your hands on it. If you didn't bring one, there's a black one near you. The verses will be on the screen. Or if you prefer to use a mobile app on your phone, uh, there's a ton of good ones there too. Now, uh, I'm reading out of the ESV today, so it's a little different than what we normally do. I usually read out of the NIV, which is more in line with our pew Bibles, but uh, what's on the screen will be the ESV. 
And this is um, Jesus. Uh, he's got a huge crowd following him, which was often the case at certain parts in his ministry. And they're uh, just gathering around him, almost crowding him, and he explains to them the true cost of what it means to actually be his disciple, his follower, to be a Christian. Luke 14, 25, it says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Pause. Okay, so he says, if anybody doesn't basically hate his family, you can't come after me. Now that seems a little bit strong, a little bit maybe unreasonable, okay, to hate your family. Now some of you might say, you know what, that's not much of a stretch, I'm not a big fan of my sister anyway. Uh, but, you know, for a lot of people, this is kind of like a, oh man, hate my, hate my siblings, hate my mom. Now, what you got to understand about the way Jesus teaches a lot of times is Jesus likes to use over-the-top exaggeration to prove a point. Um, it's like when I say, man, did you see that guy's garage? He had like millions of cars in there. You know I don't mean he has millions of cars in there. I just mean he has lots of cars. Jesus often taught that way to make his point. And so he is not saying that we must hate our family members like, oh, I'm going to get them. Not like we're plotting their demise. It's more of a, 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 an order of priorities. Jesus means that in Following him, he must become the top priority in your life. Priority for Jesus supersedes any ties and, 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 and family bonds that we have. Jesus comes before family. Now, for most of us, that's not gonna, that conflict is never going to arise. I was, I'm blessed with a family where just about everybody is a believer. All of my close family, they're all believers. They go to church. They understand that, that following Jesus has got to be a top priority in their lives. But for some of you, following Jesus is going to create some conflict in your family. Because some of you maybe have family members who think Christians are idiots, they think that, man, you've got to check your brain at the door to be a Christian. How can anybody believe that nonsense, that, that fairy tale stuff that's in the Bible? And they might like poking fun at you and harassing you, and it might create some tension in your home to follow Jesus. Um, but even more extreme to think of, for these people, what Jesus was saying, when they would follow Jesus, that very much meant for a lot of them that they would have to kind of cut themselves off from their family. And we see that reality today, too. Um, I've heard stories, lots of stories, of, of people who were Islamic and they converted to Christianity and their families will spit on them, hit them, beat them, and kick them out and never speak to them again and act as if they are dead because they gave their life and decided to follow Jesus. And, and, and so there are times where this becomes a very, very real line in the sand for people. I have to choose between Jesus and my family. Thankfully, a lot of us in this room aren't going to have to make that choice. But he's saying, if that time ever comes, there is a line, there's a place where following Jesus has to come before honoring your family. Let's keep going. Luke uh, 14, 27. He says, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, this is a statement saying uh, of complete self-denial, um, because this is me saying, I, I'm going to put whatever Jesus wants for my life over my own personal safety. I'm going to walk whatever road Jesus has for me, even if that road includes discomfort and pain. And um, the, if Jesus is trying to thin out his crowd, like that line right there would have been the best possible way to do it. Okay, because you've got to think, at this point in time, he hadn't died on a cross yet. That statement of pick up your cross and follow me, it had zero religious significance. 
Okay, so it, the cross to them, it was just like an execution torture device. It was just a way that people died a very public and very painful death. It was reserved for criminals. Okay, a modern way to say that for us would be whoever's not willing to go to uh, the electric chair for me, don't even bother. Okay, whoever's not willing to lay down on that lethal injection table isn't worth being my disciple. It's a little bit different when you say it that way, right? It's like, oh, I, I don't want to do that. Like, I don't want anything to do with that, okay? That's kind of what he's saying here. It's this shocking thing because nobody wanted to die that kind of death. Every one of these people uh, had seen someone be crucified, most likely. Crucifixion was a very common Roman practice, and it was done publicly, so all the people who might think about committing a crime would just go, nope. Don't want to be like that guy. That's why they did it so horribly and so publicly. And so uh, this, when he's saying this, it's a very real statement of, you've got to be willing to walk whatever road I set before you. And that's so incredibly scary. Because when you say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to walk whatever road you put before me, that's saying that Jesus is the one who's going to control my life, not me. That means Jesus is going to be, if you're a military person, Jesus is your CO. Okay? He's your commanding officer. And if you were a good soldier, you did whatever your commanding officer told you to do. Am I right, military men and women? Yeah, that's how it works. Okay? Jesus says, here is the road I want to put before you, and we walk it. And you know, I've noticed, I've said this before, but I've noticed that Christians, um, we say a lot, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But I, as I've talked with Christians and knowing my own heart, I've found that we are much more comfortable with the idea of a Savior than we are of the idea of a Lord. Because the Savior gets me to heaven. The Savior reunites me with my lost loved ones. The Savior forgives me of all my sins and gives me a second chance. But Lord means I am no longer in charge. Lord means he runs the show. I don't make all the decisions anymore. A Lord means I don't always do what I want. Sometimes I will do things that I distinctly do not want in order to follow Jesus. Uh, I've told this story before also, but I did not want to be a minister at all. No offense to you guys, but I did not want to do this. Uh, when I was picking out my career path from high school, I knew what I wanted to do, and it wasn't this. Uh, anytime someone would say, hey, have you thought about ministry? Because my, my home church is very uh, good about mentioning ministry as a career option to the young men and women there. Have you thought about going into ministry? And I would like, no, not even a little bit. I was the first one to think, never, ever, am I ever going to do it? I told people that on more than one occasion, and someone laughed at me once and said, uh, usually the people that are most against it are the ones that end up doing it. Not me, okay? And so I didn't want to be a minister because, one, getting up in front of people terrifies me, terrifies me. Uh, I kind of got a little bit out of that, but, but you, you, people always think, oh, you're a minister. You like talking in front of people. Sometimes, but that fear everybody feels, I got a little bit of that going on too. Okay, I didn't want that. I, uh, I was always told ministers have to be poor. I didn't want to be poor. All right? I, I, like everybody else, wanted nice cars in my garage and big houses. And, you know, I'd see those random shows where someone has a swimming pool in their house. And I was like, well, I don't have to have that. But if I could, you know, why not? And I didn't want to be that. Um, there, I, I didn't feel like I knew the Bible as well as the ministers that, that I had known growing up. And there's just so many reasons why I thought this is not ever going to be for me. And yet through a series of, of kind of long, drawn-out events, it one day became very clear to me the path that God had laid out for me. It became very clear what God wanted me to do with my life. And so I had to 
realize, okay, God's got a plan for me, and I've got a plan for me, and they don't go together. And I had this moment where I had to decide, okay, who's going to be the Lord of my life? Am I going to choose my road, or am I going to let Jesus choose for me? And letting Jesus choose for me was incredibly scary, because I knew what this road had in store. I knew all the schooling requirements. I'd already taken a lot of the college classes for this road. I, I knew the kind of you know, income that I could expect with this road. I knew where the jobs were with this road. I knew how long I had to be in school with this road. But this road, I didn't know where it was going to end up. I was terrified that if I ever said, okay, Jesus, I'll go wherever you call me, I was terrified that he would call me to a third world country. Right? I didn't want to go to a third world country. I remember thinking that. It's like, dear God, I'll do whatever you want. But if there's anything, you know, in the States, I would love that. Amen. Okay, I remember that prayer. Because I like running water, warm showers, and potties that aren't squatty, right? That's the kind of stuff that I like and I've grown accustomed to as my comfy American life. And so I was scared of the road that Jesus had for me. But there was one day where I finally just said, okay, wherever, whenever, Let's, let's do this. And it was one of the scariest decisions of my life. And so I know, I say, okay, all this talk of, you know, hating your family and picking up your cross and following Jesus, that sounds a little bit extreme. And I said, oh, I was so scared to follow Jesus, and oh, it was a really hard choice for me. That sounds like I'm, like, trying to give you the reasons not to do this, okay? But here's the, here's the other part of that. Remember, I said, when we follow Jesus, the cost of following Jesus is we give up a lot of things, so we can follow Jesus to better things. And I know the life I had planned for me, and compared to the life I have now, that is nothing. The, the satisfaction and joy I have with my life now so goes beyond anything I could have hoped for with my own fledgling, tiny little plan. I get to know that I live a life of purpose and meaning. I get to share the gospel with people on a daily basis, doing something that I believe is of eternal significance. I get to baptize people into Jesus and see their lives and hearts changed for him. I have gotten to marry some of my best friends. Let me say that. I have gotten to perform the weddings for some of my best friends. Okay, I haven't married my best friends. Well, her. That she counts, but only once. Only one of those. Gosh. I talk for a living. I'm real good at it, right? Um, and so there, there's, there's just so many things I've got. I get to enter into some of the darkest, most painful moments of people's lives to bring comfort and hope. Now, that's not something I look forward to, but it is a privilege that I get to do that, and I understand that. And so there are things in my life that on this side, after I made the choice to follow Jesus, now I see, man, his path was so much better than anything I could have hoped. Yes, there was bumps. Yes, there were scary moments. Yes, there were moments where I didn't know what was next, but I've kept trusting him all along the way, and he has not let me down yet. And so I think for us, what we must do as believers is we must think about, are there any things, are there any places in my life where I have not paid the cost of truly following Jesus? Are there things from my old life that I have held on to, things where I am just not willing to take that step and follow him? And we've got to count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus so that we know what it is we need to pay, what we need to put aside, what we need to leave behind and move forward with him. Jesus encourages us to count the cost in uh, Luke 14, starting in verse 28. He says, For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and, what's that phrase? 
count the cost and whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to, control, to encounter another king in war will not sit down and first deliberate whether he is able with his 10,000 to meet uh, him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, if he can't win, while the other king is a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for the terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus calls us, count the cost. Figure out the cost of truly following me. Because if we never count the cost, if we don't understand what it is that has to change from our old life to our new life, we're going to still hold on to some things. Because our hearts are glued to some of the older things in life. And I think far too many of us end up being like Craig Rochelle at that point in his life, where we have $5 obedience but not $10 obedience. There are certain places where we say, yeah, sure, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. But there are things that we are not willing to give up to follow him. And it could be tons of things. It might be just bad friendships that aren't good for you, that encourage you away from Christ. Um, when I became a Christian, I lost friends. And it wasn't like some sort of a confrontation where they hated me because I was a Christian. Here's what happens a lot of times. Um, a lot of times, um, the reason you are friends with someone is because you guys like hanging out together and sinning together. Like, I used to hang out with my friends, and, and we'd sit in the cafeteria and just make fun of people, not behind their back, to their face. And we got a kick out of embarrassing people and humiliating people in front of a large group of people so we could get laughs and people would think we were cool. I become a Christian, and I, I don't feel like I should do that kind of stuff anymore. Well, then I'm not as fun to hang around anymore, and I get invited to less things, and the friendship slowly dissolves. If all your friendships are, we just go out and get drunk and do stupid stuff, well, maybe Jesus has more for you than getting drunk and doing stupid stuff. Maybe Jesus has more for you than you having to have three drinks a day just to get through the day. And so you stop being as much fun to them to hang around, and the friendship kind of dissolves. But it's far too many of us, it's like, oh, but not my friends. But Jesus says, i got to be first. I've got to be first above all things. You've got to give up some stuff so you can follow me to better things. Um, I think far too many of us have drawn a line, a line that says, I'll follow Jesus to here, but I'm not going any further because it's just too expensive. I'm not going to go any further because it's just not worth the cost to follow Jesus past that point. And again, it could be any uh, number of things. It could be unwise, selfish ways to handle money. It's no uh, secret that um, Christians are called to be generous. That means less in our hands so that we can bless other people. And that can be very tricky and very hard to make that change in your life. Um, maybe, <coughs> excuse me, maybe it's something to do with how you interact at work. Maybe you talk a certain way and use certain language and tell certain inappropriate jokes because it just makes your 40 hours a week at work go better because people laugh at you and people like you and people maybe help you out do things because you fit in more. Or maybe things, something you do at work is something that's maybe not illegal, but it's not really super ethical and super honest and it's a way to get a little bit more money in your pocket or make you get a little bit more ahead at work. But maybe Jesus calls you to ultimate integrity and ultimate honesty and it's going to mean a little bit less for you. I don't know what it is in your life. I don't know what that line is that you've said, I can't cross that. I, I love my life too much to be able to cross that for Christ. But whatever it is, whatever those things are that you've been holding on to, Jesus says it's time to count the cost and let them go. It's time to fully 
fully follow him. He talked about that illustration of the guy wanting to build a tower. He said, you get in, you start building the tower, and then you, you don't have enough to complete it. I think far too many Christians, we become Christians because we want salvation, and then when we see the cost of following Jesus, we kind of take a step back with our faith because we're just not willing to complete the full turn to following Christ. And so if the cost feels too much, if you, if you think about where your life is, where that line is that you've drawn and said, I'll follow Jesus but not past this point. There's certain things, my friendships, my calendar, the way I live, my everyday life. Jesus only gets a little bit of time if there's any left over. Oh man, I, but I like my calendar and I like my fullness and I like all my hurry and I like my events. And Jesus says, maybe you need to carve some of that away so that you can serve him better. There's, whatever that line is that you've said, I will not cross it. If Whatever that cost is, no matter how scary it is, as somebody who has stood on that line and was terrified to cross it, not knowing what my life would look like if I went all in with Jesus. I just want to tell you, it is worth it. Following him is absolutely worth it because to follow him, the cost is you give up things in your life so that you can follow him to so much better things, so many better things. Tim Keller, he's a minister from New York. He says this, relationships are costly but whatever it cost you to be with God is nothing compared to the cost he paid to be with you. And so in just a moment, we're going to take communion. So if servers, would you please go prepare to serve communion? And communion is where we weekly remember the cost that Jesus paid for our salvation. Remember, salvation's not free. It's free for you and me. But somebody had to pay the cost, and that somebody was Jesus. Out of his grace and mercy and kindness, he took the cost of my sin and your sin so that we could be restored and redeemed back to our Heavenly Father. And so as communion is passed, if you're new with us, um, the way this works, the trays will come by you and there will be stacks of cups. And you take one stack and the top stack, or top cup, excuse me, is grape juice and the bottom cup is a piece of bread. And I want you to grab that stack and I want you to think about all the things in your life that you have been thus far unwilling to give up. All the ways in your life that you have been unwilling to follow Jesus. Maybe it's your language outside of church. I say that outside of church because rarely do I hear somebody with a potty mouth on Sunday morning. Okay? Uh, it's amazing how filtered people are when they're around the minister. You know? um, so, but maybe it's the way you talk, not on Sunday morning. Maybe it's the, the, the anger issues you have. Maybe it's, again, money. I don't know what that line is. You said, I'm just not going to follow Jesus. Maybe it's you don't give him any time in your life. I want you to think about the cost of what it would truly mean for you to give that up to follow Jesus. And then I want you to look at the bread and the juice, which represent the brutal death that he was willing to go through. The fact that he held nothing back so that you could be saved. And then I want you to look back at what it's going to cost you to follow him. And I want you to look at what it cost him to be with you is so much more than what it's going to cost you to follow him. And I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm, I'm wishing that at the end of this, you, the cost of following him in your eyes will seem smaller. That when you compare your cost with what he was willing to do for you, you would gladly make that sacrifice and follow him with everything that you have. Because whatever it costs you to be with him, it's nothing compared to what it costs your Savior to redeem you and restore you to himself. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this time. To, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you for this time when we come together to count the cost, to understand that salvation is not free. It's free for us because Jesus paid the price generously, giving everything of himself to wipe away my debt of sin, my criminal record, and the criminal record of everybody in this room. 
And that when we give our lives to Jesus, our criminal record is totally paid for, totally taken away. And I pray that we would see that he gave everything, even though he feared going to the cross. And he asked you that if there was any way out of it, that you would grant that. But then he submitted to you to walk that road, even if that's what it meant to save us. He loved us so much, he was willing to obey you all the way to the cross. And I pray that as we ponder the size of Jesus' sacrifice, it would make any sacrifices we would have to make to follow you seem small. It would make any sacrifice that we have to pay, any cost that we have to pay to live the life that you have for us, it would seem small. And I pray that you would help us to trust you with a future road that we don't plan ourselves, that we would trust you with a path that you have chosen for us, not one that we've chosen for ourselves. Because what you have down the path you've made for us and designed us for is so good. It's so great. And we, most of us can't even imagine what you have in our future if we truly surrender to follow you. And we give everything to the road of Christ. Help us to trust you and help us to make the hard decisions. And I pray that you would bless this teaching series. That we would spend the next several weeks really truly counting the cost and understanding all the things that we've held on to that get in the way of us following you, truly following you. Because if we're going to be followers, then half in, kind of in doesn't count. You call us to fully follow you, to give everything we have to follow you, to totally trust you with our lives, to not just be our Savior, but we let you be our Lord. Help us to let you be our Lord. Thank you again for the amazing gift of salvation. May we cherish it and not take it for granted. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.